0: All right. Well, I'm in. Uh, I'm in Istanbul. Uh, I wouldn't say this week. Now that I live in Europe, I'm never really that many places for a week. But I'm here for a few days. I got to use the new airport. And let me tell you, Brandon. I don't know if you have been to a new airport recently. Wow. I see what Trump was talking about when he was like, "American airports are dumpy." Like the new airports are very choice. You got that airport over in Seoul. That's mm. a really nice airport. Uh, this airport, fantastic. I had to go get a visa. No line, just walk up. Wow, that's nice. Year.
1: That's yeah,
0: it, it, It's I, you know, it, it costs thirty dollars to get a visa, which is fine, but it's literally dollars, like U.S. dollars, and I'm never sure if they just match the currency to the uh, the nationality, which they probably do. That would make sense, but luckily I had thirty dollars to get a visa. But the airport was very nice. Well, what's I love so
1: it. what's so good about? It? I'm trying to think. Uh, like JFK, they had that new uh, that new wing yeah. where they yeah. jet blue. I'm trying to think like. Is it, I don't know if you've been there, their new international, site, is it a lot better than that? Like what, like, what am I missing out on these brand well, new airports? I just... think
0: now, now I haven't experienced the airport here on the departing side, but on the arrival side, uh, what makes it nice is, well, first of all, it's very clean, right? I mean, which is probably because it's brand new. But then if you think about the Seoul airport, uh, how do you say that, Incheon, it's, that airport is also very clean, as is the Singapore airport, right? And We've all been to enough airports, right? Like, you know, when I think of like messy airport, I think of LaGuardia, right? Like it's just (laughs) like, or for those who go through London City Airport, it's just like, most of those airports, well, LaGuardia is kind of a dirty airport. It's just worn out.
1: It's funny. I was going to say Newark. I guess we're just picking on New York. Well, although yeah, JFK, uh, JFK has some really nice areas. I
0: should it's say. true. I, I and, and I totally understand up there in the New England is just like, there's not that much space left and there's a lot of people. <laughs> so like, what are you fucking going to do? Right. They got, they got those wacky exit ramps that are not exit ramps where you're like, you got to drive through like some neighborhood to like enter the highway. I don't know. And you go always going in circles. Very weird. But anyways. Uh, yeah. So, so it's very tidy, very clean, but I think, I think what really does it for me is it's very spacious and there's a lot of like yeah. windows and light high
1: ceilings. And
0: yeah, whereas like in your traditional airports, uh, older airports, they're very um, compact. They're they're very compressed and and these newer airports, much much better. It's so nice and so we'll see when I go when I go through the departing. I suspect it will. I suspect it'll be just as good. Like again, the the Singapore Airport, the Seoul Airport. It's just very nice. Like, there's a, again, on, on the, when you're leaving side, there's lots of open air, gigantic windows, uh, usually kind of well planned out placement of like stores and restaurants to like spend your time at. So, uh, it's a nice airport. I, I like it. Now, Now, just as a comparison, because I know people love the travel talk, so obviously my home airport now is Schiphol, which I think I'm more or less pronouncing correctly. It's not Schiphol or
1: Scheiphol, it's Schiphol. Wow, I've been saying that wrong for over a decade. Thank you. Yeah, yeah.
0: Schiphol. You pronounced the the C there, Schiphol. Okay. And I'm still pronouncing it wrong. I mean, you know, know, like whenever you try to speak a foreign language, uh, it's basically the equivalent of, as if in English I were to say, um, uh, that carrot is necessary. And you would be like, "What did you just say? Did you just ask me if if I wearing my shorts on my head, and you're like, "No, no, no I, and you're like, "Oh, what you mean is that carrot is necessary, <laughs> and so I'm sure there's some subtle pronunciation anyways, so Skippel, I think, is a very good airport as well. It's very utilitarian, like you always seemingly spend a lot of money. It's kind of like d f w where you know you get to take a tour of Dallas when you land, you mm-hmm. like just go so." That happens a lot at Schiphol, but whatever. But uh, I wouldn't say that it's a luxurious airport, right? Like, it's not, like, big and spacious and full of glass. But it's a very uh, – it's got a lot going on. It's very quick to go in and out. Like, it's its a very functional, good airport. Uh, it's hard to have a bad experience at Schiphol. But,
1: you know, nice airport here.
0: That's all I got to say. It's good stuff.
1: All right, good airports. You're on an airport roll right now. Keep it up. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, you know, these these things matter a lot when uh, when you travel frequently. If, if the airport's good, because that's 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 how you spend your your time thinking about stuff. Oh, here's another another tip, and then we'll get onto the news. I've discovered this recently. Now that I fly on KLM, right, and I finally have uh, the mid tier status, which means I can get into uh, lounges. A lot of the time, you'll be at an airport where your uh, your airline does not have an official lounge, but it's turned out pretty much 90% of the time, there's one of these weird, no name lounges and they will let you in. So it's always worth your time to like, look up the weird lounges and see if you're on there. Cause chances Do they are have
1: some kind there. of like reciprocation, like let, let our flyers go in there. I, I assume the so. Same? Like, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, they, they enter in your number and everything. So I'm assuming they send a bill to KLM or sky team or something. But you no, know, it's a good, uh, I don't even remember where I was. It was in Cape town. They had one of these lounges and, uh, there was some other place I was at where they didn't speak English as their primary language.
1: Listen, maybe I should go with an early plug here. My son who loves to watch YouTube and he, I don't know, just in general likes transportation, trains, planes, automobiles, mm-hmm. whatever. There's actually an excellent uh, documentary of uh, Heathrow. Just, it's just basically an entire tour of Heathrow and like uh, all these crazy stats about how many people fly in and out. And yeah. they go to like every section of the airport, like cargo. Uh, you know, my son, of course, probably like everyone, he's attracted to like the uh, the ultimate uh, luxurious lounges because uh, you know, as yes, in um, like whenever you go to Heathrow, there's like there's not just lounges, there's like five different tiers of lounges, and like every yes. time you get into a new one, someone's like, oh, but did you know there's this other secret lounge, right? Like the, yeah. they, they showed the Emirates lounge, and uh, yeah. of course, he always likes when they show the. Uh, the ultimate, I think the Emirates is usually the ones that have like just these yeah incredible first class cabins. So uh, if you, I don't know, it you know it's funny. It's like sometimes I sit down and he's watching YouTube. and I'm like, this is definitely setting back this generation a couple decade, a couple millennia, right? I mean, this is some bad stuff. But then sometimes I'm like, this is actually pretty interesting, and I'll watch with him. So so if you're if you're bored, if you're with an eight year old, I don't know, fire up the YouTube, put in you know find that uh, Heathrow documentary. It's a good one.
0: Yeah. Well, well, one i have been i've been lucky enough to been in all three levels of the british airway lounges you got you got the uh you got the normal lounge and then you have the business class first class uh executive platinum lounge and to be honest, i cannot really tell the difference between the two i think i think maybe in that that executive platinum lounge you can order food i don't know there's there's something different but one time through this series of strange events. Kim and I got upgraded to first class, uh, and we got to go into the concord room, which was great. Unfortunately, we only had like a, an hour, so we couldn't get uh, <laughs> we couldn't enjoy all of it. But like it was, it was, it was swanky. It was uh, very
1: well. Bad. It seems to be the the final the top tier to lounge always seems to be like you. it's somehow it's like you paid for the first class ticket, or like somehow like that's somehow yes. they're giving you that that's the special designation where it was. It's like hey, it doesn't matter the frequent travelers. People travel a lot. There are two lounges for them. But like if you're like giving whole card cash or I guess in this case, British pounds, uh, you get a special, special lounge. Right. So it's like, okay, makes sense. And then you look at like, well, yeah, if you paid $20,000 to fly on the plane, like, sure, I guess that would make sense. Like you should have a nice lounge.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then the second thing, I know it's a little young, but if your son is interested in being a sales engineer for pivotal and traveling a lot, we have a lot of openings. We're always hiring. He could go to all the airports that he wants. Go to Terminal Five, or probably more likely go to DFW a lot. Maybe uh, you know Benton things like all that. Right. I'll maybe. let
1: him know. I'll let him all know because right. he is in tra- He does like to travel. You sometimes you get these windows like. You know, some kids, you know, I don't know, maybe they'll be great at sports. Maybe I, I do kind of often feel like my son will be the uh, the consultant that will eventually be coming in with the spreadsheets, you know, deciding like who's, who goes and flying in and out. Sometimes you look at him, you're like, OK, he seemed to have that kind of uh, that demeanor. So I don't know yeah. we'll see. It's young. But I'll let him know. I'll let him know there's plenty of opportunities. He he has uh, expressed interest in going to London. I think, honestly, his entire reason to go to London is to visit Heathrow and ride the two. That's pretty much it. Not really all the other stuff, Big Ben, everything else, not as interested in it.
0: Well, I mean, I got to say, I got to say, probably, I don't know if it would be my favorite airport, but one of my top three airports is Terminal 5 at Heathrow. That's a, that's a, that's a good terminal. All
1: right. Well, I should like go watch it again. There's all these incredible facts that you always ask me about. He's like, dad, did you know Heathrow has its own police force? Didn't know that. Um, has its own hospital? Didn't know that. I mean, it's like, it is uh, it is basically a city unto itself. Yeah. Love that place. Terminal four at Heathrow.
0: Not so great. Unfortunately, <laughs> no need to go there. It's, it's not good. Well, uh, you know, let's say you are running your own city. Of an airport now you're probably going to have a lot of software doing that unless you've got a lot of uh, punch cards I don't know' is punch card software brandon
1: I guess it was a long time ago it was i
0: mean those cards are soft anyways uh you know you've got a bunch of software you need to keep track of what's uh if you wanted to like keep track of all the uh, the logs and the things coming off what might you look into
1: yeah well, I think uh what you could do here is you could use a great tool from our sponsor here at SolarWinds. so this episode is sponsored by SolarWinds and one of their web APM tools, Loggly. When there's a service disruption, seconds matter. Don't waste time looking for logs or combing through endless screens of events. Let Loggly aggregate, manage, and sum- summarize your log data so you can quickly spot issues, jump to the relevant event message is, and identify the root cause. Loggly streamlines troubleshooting with fast interactive search capabilities over massive log volumes, even across long time periods. The powerful analytics allow you to visualize your log data and spot trends and anomalies before there is an issue. With Loggly, you can spend less time troubleshooting and more time innovating. It's scalable cloud-based log management that won't break the bank. To learn more or try it for free for 14 days, just go to logly.com slash sdt. That's L-O-G-G-L-Y.com slash sdt. And if it logs, it can log to Loggly. And I think for everything that's going on in Heathrow, I bet you they have a lot of log files at Heathrow. And I bet you uh based on what my son reports that it's the busiest airport in the world that uh that creates a lot of data. So I I I have no idea if this is true, but I think the people at Heathrow should be using Logly and uh, and if not uh they they should go get themselves a free trial. And of course, we uh, really appreciate Soloins being such a great sponsor.
0: Maybe that maybe that's company 500 that is not yet a uh SolarWinds customer. Aren't they the Indeed. ones that used to be at four ninety nine? We don't yeah, we don't have that in the copy anymore, so they might have closed on that final deal.
1: Well, everybody, everyone needs it. Everyone needs some solar winds and, and again Heathrow. I hope Heathrow has Logley. Yeah, so that's right. that's what I want them to have.
0: Also, this episode brought to you by Heathrow. <laughs> an airport you should go through. Why <laughs> right. why travel through an airport that doesn't charge you a hundred to two hundred extra pounds just to be there? Right. You get you get that experience. Love that heat trophy. Well, you know, speaking of things, uh, th- this this reminds me. Uh, I'm I'm always you know uh, when I'm not uh, being cynical about artificial intelligence and machine learning, you know who's next in line? Internet <laughs> of Things, yeah. IoT. What's up with that? However, I am now in my hotel room here, looking at a fascinating little device called a thermostat. I came here last night, uh, pretty late. I, I walked into the hotel room. It was uh you know, you know is it, what what is what's the temperature like in Austin right
1: now? Like sixties.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, again, let's that, say,
1: that being Fahrenheit for yes, a yes. I, I like what
0: you titled the last
1: episode. That was good.
0: But let's 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 go a few months into the future. Let's say you're in the high eighties in Austin. Now, Brandon, if you were in the high eighties and the air conditioner didn't work, how would you describe your situation when you're trying to go to sleep at night in your house?
1: uh sweating yeah not good not Not good not good. Not a good situation people are not happy in my house and my wife constantly uh turning and tossing and she would not be happy either it would not yeah you're doing that that thing
0: where you keep turning the pillow over to get the cool side of the pillow very very difficult anyways she would not be happy i came in here last night and the temperature was 86.1 degrees fahrenheit whoa And, and so I, you know, I thought I I played with the thermostat to get it down to like 70 and and it's just blowing and blowing. And then, uh, and then, and then I went, there's a giant bathtub. So I I, I thought I would John Roderick and I took a bath and then I came out and it was still really hot. It was at Mm 85.1. So I was like, I'm going to go to sleep. I don't want to deal with this. So I'm trying to go to sleep, tossing and turning. And so I finally called him and, uh, some guy comes up and he like fiddles with it. And I think what he told me is that when I adjust the temperature, I have to then set it, which I I don't okay. know. But, you know, there's only like up, down, fan speed, yeah. on, off, and change from Celsius to Fahrenheit on it. So I don't know whether you press the two buttons. So he fixed it. But then someone had a follow-up call, and they said, you know, uh, how did my friend fix this for you? And I see that the temperature in your room is going down. So I'm assuming they're using an Internet of Things technology to monitor the temperature in my room, which that's
1: kind of nice.
0: Like, yeah. that seems like a good IoT thing.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it would be even better if they kind of like flagged it, right? You know, back to yeah, the monitoring, yeah, like, hey, it's uh, 85 degrees and above, somebody should get a little yeah. Alert. Now that that's Come something you on some,
0: something you should do some log monitoring on that. That uh, you know, there, there's there, we'll, we'll go over some some CI CD stuff here in, in just a little bit. I think I think there's some exciting things there, but this reminds me of a story from our our friend Zane, uh, several episodes back. I think interviewed in on Software Defined Interview. There's interviews. There's an S there, but uh, I think I think at one point I don't think you were around him when this was coming up. But there was some point where he owed he had like an eight to nine month uh, late bill to AT and T, and now now if you've heard the interview with him, he's not the kind of person who's going to Fritz out on a bill. His logic was the following: uh, his his phone service had been out for about three months, just not working. So his logic was: since the phone service is out, I'm not going to pay the bill because you know you should know the phone service is out. Now, of course, uh, you know, it doesn't take you know the intelligence of a toothpick to figure out that I'm sure AT&T saw it much differently. <laughs> but it, 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 does, it does kind of raise to the point, that would be a nice effect of IoT stuff if they were like, hey, most people in this hotel don't want their room to be 86.1 degrees, so maybe we should call them and see what's going on. That, now, that would have been some service right there. That's that, that would be great from a hotel. But so how do you think the IOT stuff is going, Brandon? Is it
1: going to pan out? I was going to say, it's really interesting you say it because, um, you know, just like on a personal level, I've got like two experiences recently. So one, I I have two thermostats in the house and I was given a nest. And so I put it downstairs and replaced it. And it was a, a little, um, if you will, a little bit, uh, flaky at the beginning, but it seemed to work fine. Right. And then, uh, one day my wife, she uh she just wouldn't connect right and so i finally go over to the thermostat and it's just uh you know just completely will not work like it will not connect and so finally get this like w-2 error is what it's called and then i you know get on support and they just say uh yeah basically the wireless is broken right so you got to send it back to us and i just thought to myself it was just interesting i was like i'm glad the other thermostat upstairs i didn't replace and i was and so i've kind of i kind of have this failover mentality of like well I'm not gonna put a nest in both places because I'm afraid, you know, if uh cause it is, it's just like what do you get? What is the old uh line? Like, what do you get when you cross anything with a computer? A computer. It's like suddenly, you know, a thermostat is like, I've just never seen one break. I didn't even, you know what I mean? It was like I didn't know it was possible, right? And uh it, it and so that part is like, I don't know. I mean, it was it, it's like in the nest thing, right? It's I guess I don't know, it's sort of I'm just sort of so uh neutral on it. It's like I like it. I do like the fact that I can kind of um you know see the temperature and change it from different places, but the whole learning stuff like I don't know, I just it seems like it's always the same. Like it doesn't seem like much has changed yeah. or anything like that. So that part you know I'm, I'm very uh, Neutron. But then I got my son the, for like 30 bucks. Uh I got I think it was like a real cheap deal on these Amazon Wi-Fi plugs. So it's just just what it says. You plug it yeah, in. Yeah, those are cheap. And you um, and you can just hook it up to your Alexa, and we just gave it a name, and it's like it's awesome, right? Because he likes to keep the light on in his room, uh, but like when I and I live, you know, when I'm downstairs, I can just at night, so before I'm going to bed, I can just look up and see if it's on, and I can just tell it, you know, uh, tell tell the Alexa to turn it off, and it's just fantastic. And I I do sometimes look around the house. I'm just like, this is like you know, you just have all these places you can. You know, if you will, it's the modern day clapper. It's just like, I just want on off on this thing in the, in the corner. Exactly. Like, that's, that's what I was going to say is, and, is uh, I, th-
0: I think the way that IoT has improved my life is during Christmas, I no longer have to figure out those fucking wheel timer things.
1: Like, like,
0: like where you've got this wheel with a bunch of numbers on it. And I never know if you push on when you want it to go on or off. It's just absurd. You just plug in like a Wemo thing. And you're like, I want it on at this time and off at that time. Done.
1: Yeah. So I think that for sure, the simple on off use case does seem really good. Thermostat use case. And I don't know. I think the jury's out on it. And then on the fitness side, I have the Apple watch. I like it. Um, But again, if you go for a bike ride, you start to do it all. Like you put on a chest strap. And then you want to like monitor like your cadence and stuff on your bike. It's like, well, that basically adds like 10 to 15 minutes to every ride where you're just like messing around with it. And then it just suddenly, uh, just at some point it just becomes disconnected for a second. It's like, then you just feel compelled to like stop and play around with it. So, so I don't know. I mean, all these cars and stuff they're talking about or anything that's sort of just constantly taking pictures and like generating, you know, I don't gigabits of data per day. It's like, I don't know that kind of stuff. I'm just always like. I, I it just feels like almost more hassle than it's worth, but time will tell. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We'll see. I mean, if anything, it's a window to try to improve some old paradigms, so to speak, like, you know, like uh, the, the AV guy at the, at our spring one tour here was like late to some sessions. So I had to figure out his soundboard and like, <laughs> I mean, you know, you look at a soundboard and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? right? Like, it, and, and it all kind of makes sense if you kind of sort of know what's happening, but you got your XLR cables and your like big fat plugs and these other plugs. And that's just like a mess. Like, and and then you've got all these like low cuts and high cuts and all this stuff that like all that just needs to be refreshed. None of it makes <laughs> sense. It's all, it's it all true. like based Anybody on that.
1: Uh, I was having like, some people start with podcasting the other day and it's just like, you know, and of course, the goal is to have a good-sounding podcast. Of course, and it's like, well, you know, every time you like want to like get a little bit better, a little bit better sound, you introduce this other component that may or may not work, right? And I just was explaining to somebody, it's like, as soon as you start getting an audio interface and a computer all together, like stuff's just—it's just not going to work sometimes. There's—I don't know. It's—I don't know what to say. Like it just—and uh, then you look at the big old-school audio boards, and you get it, right? It's kind of like the old-school thermostat it's like analog technology that's been around for 30 years it works but it's complicated so yeah there's yeah. your choices that's true
0: all right well they, i i think i think since last we recorded or we haven't talked about it, there's been there's been two uh two monetary things happening in the old uh continuous integration continuous deployment world and i think was it you or matt ray who made a prediction that was this, was this this year or last year that like the build pipeline big deal Every, everyone's getting into it I think that was Matt,
1: wasn't it? Yeah, it mean, sounds like Matt's world. Seems like he would, he, he's been it's very for a long time. <laughs>
0: yeah, so, so CloudBees, they bought uh, uh, Electric Cloud, which I, I kind of I, I went and read up on them, but I remember the name and what they did. They've been around for a while, if, if I remember. And then uh, also a company i had never heard of because I closely follow this space called Harness. They raised uh, like $60 million for a total of $80 million and uh, of, of venture funding. I guess. So uh, I, I like I like the description of the harness one. They use they use machine learning to do uh, better continuous app delivery, which I, I could see that could kind of work out that you find similar patterns going on. Although the way machine learning works is it basically screws up like 5 million times and then it figures out the right way to do it, right? Isn't that yeah. kind of how it well, works? Well, I think,
1: you know, especially when people say machine learning, right? It's all really a statistical algorithm, right? So it's certainly... Definitely- mm. You know, lots of like, we like to think in three dimensions, right? A machine learning algorithm can think in whatever, n dimensions. And, you know, and over time it creates these correlations and things like that. So I don't know. I get, I think it's interesting, but you know, this idea that, what was it? Like, um, I don't know. It used to be, I can't remember like in the world of monitoring management, there are all these like predictive analytics and, you know, they call that AI ops now, I think. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the fact that everyone just keeps saying these things, it's just it's just like okay, yes, you're you're collecting data, you're analyzing it, and you're using that data to inform future um, future outcomes. Like, I don't know, I don't, I just don't think we need to keep saying machine learning as if it's like some sort of voodoo science. Like, oh, yeah. oh, you're using machine learning, and also the fact that everyone keeps saying this, it's just stupid in these conferences where it's like I have no idea, uh, nor do I have the time, the interest, or the expertise to go personally evaluate your machine learning algorithm for somebody else's machine learning algorithm the fact that like you know it's just like saying like hey i used a pen to write with it's like great i mean that's fantastic i'm not going to read everything you wrote and determine if it's good or bad it's like you know you need to like tell me why i even care about that
0: right. so you're like, do, doing like pen, pen ink-based communication
1: <laughs> yeah i mean that would be the equivalent this is ink-based communication guys this is incredible it's ink-based communication oh really I had no idea that you could write with ink. That's fantastic. Now, how does it, that help me?
0: It flows much better, and the the reliance is better because you're not. It's not always breaking a point. That's right. So. It's
1: highly available and easy to use. Oh wow, I've never heard those two words before. That is incredible. I'm. Let me just write you the check, Kote, right now. That's incredible.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is some follow up. So I was at the uh, we talked. We talked about new hire training last week. I I was there on Monday, and uh, it along the lines of what you're saying. It was it was there was a fantastic moment where a couple people were basically like yes they they were much they were a brand new hire so they were trying not to be sarcastic so i'm going to put it in a, my sarcastic tone they were like yes every vendor promises that they're going to solve world hunger so how are we different
1: <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> which
0: which was like which was like as as they would say up there in london i think it was spot on it was like that is a great question and and thankfully we had some good answers for it but it uh, that is, I, I think maybe that's that's a uh, a follow-on thing for your new hire training is you've got to make sure to tell them how you're actually different uh, and like what what the deal is not just that you know you're uh, someone else solving world hunger with automation software mm-hmm. you got to actually go over what's different. Well, you know, on that topic, uh, well, I guess we should close out the the build pipeline stuff also. My understanding is that, uh, so CloudBees is good at Jenkins at the CI part. And I think the electric cloud stuff adds in a bunch of uh, the CD things like that. But it is, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think as we were talking about when Matt was predicting this, it looks like basically there's a few companies that are trying to do the uh, the end-to-end, like checking the code and have it deployed to production uh, or a pipeline, as I would call it, which which is a, uh, a an ambitious uh, project to go through. And I think... You know there were there were i always think of I was trained when I was doing m a to think of things in um cycles right like the the one that I worked on the most that I would always use as an example is the uh speaking of machine learning is the business intelligence cycle, and there was um there was this time from i forget the window two thousand to two thousand five maybe where you had business objects and the two other ones that I can't remember. And they were all acquired by Oracle, SAP, or IBM. And so IBM, there were yeah. three vendors. Yeah, so there was this cycle of BI, and then that, that window ended, right? And then after that, the next cycle of BI that you had was basically Tableau and Click and some other stuff. And, and it was more centered around like, so we've got our data warehouses, and we've got our BI stuff, and what we really need is a good front-end and then the analytics to go on top of that. And then as always like SAS and MicroStrategy are always flitting around as private companies and, you know uh, in their big gigantic successful private companies um, that have colorful leaders, as I recall. <laughs> um, and uh, so then that nothing, re- not much happened in that cycle, which is kind of interesting. I think Tableau IPO and I think click is now owned by a private equity firm and SAS and MicroStrategy are, of course, still on their own. Great for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, on, and then what uh, came along was big data. I think that was kind of the next thing. Right, of, so all those guys
1: got. Uh, well, what do you think? Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like CICD. And it'd be interesting. I'd love to hear how you position Pivotal. It's like, I mean, is it like? Is it really a product? Is it a future? Is it? Is it its own market? Because I, I don't know. As we go forward, yeah. it just seems like, like if you're just like moving to the cloud, for example, right? Like, you know, just take AWS, but really all of them, you know, everyone's, they're all going to start with like, hey, here's kind of the basic CI, CD set, set up, right? Like, this is, they're going to propose some kind of solution for you, right? Like, mm-hmm. why don't you just do this? And then, um, you know, and it's, you're.
0: It's, it's like you've worked in enterprise marketing before. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: like, <laughs> that's what it is.
0: I, I, I like to simplify all business strategy down to we would like to make more money. And I think you have basically simplified all like first tier enterprise software marketing to why don't you do this?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, because that's always going to be the the beginning thing. It's like everyone's going to want to get into it, but then I know in the case of like Pivotal, right, and some of the other paths, it's like, you know, I feel like you guys have a strong point of view here, right? It's like, you know, and I'll just speak for you and just tell me I'm wrong, but it's just like, hey, don't don't create something massively custom, right? Like, kind of build it around, you know, the way that Pivotal apps, right, are. Are packaged up um, so there's a kind of like that school of thought and then there's you know this the notion of you know enterprise software to your point where it's like you know everybody's different no matter where you go Côtez, you always say it's like whoa we work in this industry you've never heard of and we're totally different than this other industry, like finance is different. And you're like, well, maybe, but regardless is, you know, whether it's true or not is less important than like people want to do customization. Right. So they want, so this idea of the pipeline, even the metaphor is, I do think it like lends itself to like just enterprise in general. It's like, Oh, it's a pipeline that can like snap in different things. Right. And I can just take the tools I either have or the processes I have and I'll just like throw them in here, which sometimes sometimes, Makes sense, but sometimes it's like, wait a minute. I think if we just started with the thing that just came with the tool, like we would have been better off. Oh boy. Um, so I don't know what what, do you, what is the pivot. What's your take? What's the pivotal take?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, we we've alluded to this several times in this podcast, but I think uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe it hasn't crystallized in my mind until you're going over this. But I think I think let's just call them pipelines instead of me saying CICD all the time, which is difficult to to say. But I think I think the pipeline space. Is I don't know if it's currently or next or whatever, but it's one of the newer fascinating experiments of how do you make money off of developers, basically, <laughs> right? And I, you know, I I, w- I wish I knew like CloudBees financials more, right? If I was doing some analysis of the space, I would basically just learn CloudBees as much as possible and use them as a, a baseline, and then you could look at like Ant Hill and a few other things in the past or. Whatever that Anhill An- was a product that that BuildForge? Is that what it was called? I forget. Uh anyways, so there, there's some historical things and then Microsoft's TFS business, which is hard to find numbers on that. Whatever. Uh but the problem is at its core, it's basically like Jenkins and maybe whatever Java people use. And then and then the thing that's new and interesting is basically like um, packaging up containers which right. then drags in i need a registry which then drags in i need to make sure that my operating system is patched which then drags in dependencies on for your distributed application microservice nonsense and on and on and on right like it's right it's it's, it's and this doesn't happen this isn't this doesn't happen in every part of tooling but every now and then the tooling and software development ends up um i wouldn't even call it a leaky abstraction it's more like the canal system in amsterdam it's just like fucking everywhere right like it's right. it's like or or a really well marbled steak right so right. it's 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 just like it's touches everything and affects everything that's happening and so um i think i think the issue again is like so how are you going to make money off of that because at every single step of the way there is a way for a developer an individual developer in a day can figure something out that then will take them five years to untangle four years in the future <laughs> right like so it's really easy to start something up and then so I think it, it, the problem is exactly what you're saying is if like if we had just used the thing you gave us from the get go, the fully integrated platform, things would have been fine, which has always been the strength of the Microsoft developer world, right which as a total footnote, now that they're not just Microsoft stack, it'll be interesting over the next five years to see how that pans out. Right. Like one of the main powers of, again, I am to repeat my point of the Microsoft developer stack was that like, there were no choices. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and I was- think
1: you're right. And I think, you know, to use the, uh, you know, maybe the proper company days, cause you know, Apple's, you know, where I sort of dabble in building stuff occasionally and it's like, you know, it it is. It's a captive audience, right? And it's like if you're going to build stuff for Apple, you're going to use the Apple tools, right? And it's just like there there aren't any questions. I mean, it's kind of like this is what you do, and there. I mean, the simplicity of that really does. I think it's one of the reasons that you know there are just so many apps that people built, right? Is that it is relatively accessible. Like you can build yeah. something that actually, you know, if you will, does something, right? Actually it solves some problem pretty quickly, whereas you know when you can, when you go down this pipeline rat hole i mean you can just be lost for years to your point right i mean it's like cuz we didn't even get to the whole deployment thing and then at the end of the deployment now it's like this thing spinnaker exactly. and it's like red what is it blue yellow red green you know kind of that whole thing and you're just like you know and again you're just like you know i just was i was just going to put up this web application right I just, and it's like <laughs> and i got and i i'm trying to manage this 10 stage pipeline and more people are coming at it so so definitely i like i mean clearly consolidation i think well overdue as you kind of as they point out from the 451 summary i think the question just going forward to me uh, and even the the notion of like tools right i often call these like devops tools or something or tool chain it's like that is yeah. usually an indication that there's not much money to be spent right whenever you're <laughs> like whenever they call you a tool tool meaning and not not the negative connotation just like hey this is something that helps me do my job that yeah. is often means that's not going to be super profitable so this kind of leads me to kind of back to like who where does most of the money go it goes to the like the cloud vendors that are actually you know providing hosting, right, and you know some type of like you're consuming yeah. some type of resources. So, so it does kind of feel like over time these things you know kind of get sucked into the major cloud vendors, and you know that's going to be you know to your point that's going to be this cycle of this that's where it's going to be aggregated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, the cycle thing.
0: That's the jag that I was going on, and so yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's another point is like, um, I you know. I'm not really sure what it means when you say, arguably. I think that's one of those words we have in English rhetoric that's like, don't give me shit about what I'm about to say. So, uh, you know, don't at me as they say. But I think arguably, this is almost like a second mini-cycle of the pipeline uh, sort of market, right? Like, And I don't know, maybe, I mean, because even CloudBees was first a PaaS and then they went into being a, a Jenkins vendor, if I remember. But they probably kind of launched the second wave of it, and then there was that little company that Quest. No wait, it was the Dallas company. Not it's obviously not our wonderful sponsor, SolarWinds, but the other one. What are they called? Uh, anyways, whatever that company in Dallas is that my brother-in-law used to work with that primarily started off doing uh, SQL Server management, and uh, now it does a bunch of other stuff. I'll remember their their name late at night when I Idira. Idira. There yeah. you go. Idira yeah. bought. Didn't they buy Travis CI?
1: Uh, yes, I think that's true. Yep. that's right. That All right.
0: Anyhow. So there, you know, I didn't really think that the, uh, the pipeline market would exist or be this long, but here it is. So mm-hmm. like, it's something I guess. And I think one, as we've been talking about, it is appealing to being like, it is, it is the necessary and maybe primary enabler of improving the way you do software, right? Like you just, yeah. you can't do software better if you don't have a pipeline like you just need it right so so there's that uh but i think there's so one let me do the american thing of the uh the reverse shit sandwich that was all my praise now i will move on to the shit um which you know wh- i think one of the main problems is maybe not so much anymore but you have a lot of competition of just straight up like other pipeline things including the open source version uh and people doing things on their own but i think there's another like um, as you were kind of alluding to, an even more even more difficult or even difficulter uh, competitor, which is those big cloud and platform vendors who they need pipelines to exist to basically automate putting stuff into their platform. And the reason they need that is like certain places that I might work at, right? Like the the value proposition, a lot of it circle, uh, goes around like, Once you get your stuff containerized and you run it in our platform, you can deploy multiple times a day, and it's more efficient and all that. But like you got to you got to containerize it or do your build. And you know, back to the new hire training, we got all sorts of how we're different answers to it. But in the broader scheme of things outside of Pivotal, like you need that pipeline to deliver on that value prop that cloud allows you to move faster, right? Yeah. So, So, but if you're one of these platform or cloud providers, uh, your, as we see from Amazon and others, your top line revenue is so massive that you could probably throw away, like, I shouldn't say throw away. You can probably spend five, maybe even $10 million a year on R and D just to provide pipelines for free, right? Like it, it can just be like a thing that you have. And so in that sense, you can have these other parts of the market you're competing with who are Just totally making free what you're trying to compete against now you know the sort of like um i I need to have a phrase for this but there's naive fantasy stupid conspiracy theory ideas of like what venture-funded companies are doing so one of those like naive ideas is like oh well the whole play is just to have amazon buy them or whatever which i think as we discussed as non ad nauseum usually doesn't work out because the company acquiring them is like, so you want me to buy this thing that makes no revenue? Like I'm just going to go sell my own diapers. Mm-hmm. Like they don't really care. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it it is, it is a difficult space to go in and I think it, but as always, when you can't compete with just one thing that people are doing for free or competing against, that's largely where you, uh, if you're a smaller company, you'll go acquire another one that expands out your portfolio. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, And so, I, I mean, I think, I think just to, just to wrap up, if you could say uh, and I think this is kind of what Habitat uh, from chef is, was, is trying to do is if you can say basically like you write code and then at some point it's running in a cloud and we do everything between those two points, then <laughs> that's pretty compelling, right? Like that, that actually is something that would likely be worth paying for, if it exists. And then of course you're like, Oh, and now we have serverless support and now we have that. And then, and then finally, like, you know, from, from your old world of stuff, eventually you're just like, I don't know, fucking regulation and security and compliance, blah, blah, blah.
1: Right. Like, right. Like do that too. All that. Check all yeah. that stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it would be interesting going forward because then kind of back to our review of uh, Google next a few, a few episodes ago, it's like, you know, Google had this whole idea of like partnering more with open source vendors. And so, it would be interesting to see, you know, because if I'm like running Cloud B strategy, it's like, hey, how do I get into that Google? How do I get to be part of that Google deal? But maybe the pipeline is, is, to your point, it's like so central. It's like kind of the entry point that that's why all these cloud vendors are really going to be incentivized to build it themselves, right? Because they yeah. really want to make it easy. And so, and I think we should always, whenever we talk about Cloud I always think going the other way is just on a user adoption level, it's like Jenkins, right? You know, the underlying thing is like, I, I think that and like Nagios, it's like everyone has Nagios. Every organization doesn't matter like what you do, you have some Nagios. And I think Jenkins is like pretty much in that same category. It's like somewhere in this company, someone's using Jenkins <laughs> for something. Yeah, it's everywhere. So you know, so there is. I mean, to your your point about massive user adoption. I mean, that definitely cate- um is in the category of like huge success in my book.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know them well at all, but I mean that company seems to be okay. I mean, they, they,
1: uh, yeah, they, we should they say like- one of our avid slack guys, Michael Neal, right? He's always in here talking about yeah. how great is. So he's, he seems, he seems good to work with. So maybe yeah. looking for a job, go find a job at Cloud
0: So So, as the, I think this is a kids in the hall skit, as that letter writer used to say at the end of his letter, good luck to you and your people. I'll have to find that up, find That's that true. out, maybe put it at the end. Well, I think, uh, you know, one last thing I wanted to ask you about before we wrap up. Cause, cause I, uh, uh, this is an interesting story to me. So I have an Apple watch. You have an Apple watch, right? I do. This is like the beginning of a kid's song. I have an Apple watch. <laughs> you have an Apple watch. We all have an Apple watch. So, so there was I uh, I don't know what this is based on rumors or just like, I got to write an 800 word article that someone wrote up, but like there, there's some talk of like the Apple watch being able to use for other authentication stuff. And so, uh, I'd kind of forgotten about this. I, I don't know why I turned it off, but, uh, uh. I had like a, I don't know, maybe six month span where I didn't have an, an Apple Watch and I got one. And then I set it up with my new computer and I forgot you can have it basically log you into a computer if you're near. Which, yes. Which is pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, and, and I think maybe you can even set it up with like Okta and maybe even Google. So it sends you a notification and you can say, yes, let me log into this I thing. Do that.
1: I use that. I will speak highly. Uh, semantic is where, you know, that's uh, uh, a, yeah. and it's like, absolutely. It just pops up a little uh, dialogue on your watch. You just say, yes, no, like, is this you? And that is fantastic. That is a fantastic 2FA experience.
0: You know, you know, I recently put a couple books on lean pub. I think there should be one. That's basically how to figure all this shit out. <laughs> Cause even I get confused, right? Like, like i got i got the authy desktop app yeah which does all my 2fa things right but i also have one password and yeah. then i got okta and i remember hearing that like one password one password will do 2fa things but i don't really know where that yeah, is yeah well, i think you're
1: talking about the authenticator side of it like most of these places yeah. you can have if you want to have one authenticator app app this being the thing that gives you the random numbers right that lets yeah. you have to in. so authy has one uh, I think LastPass has one, and then what we're talking about here is some of them have gotten more sophisticated. So instead of having to do the numbers, you just do—they just do a push notification either to the watch yeah. phone, and you say yes, no. But like we're way off in the weeds now. But depending on how the the third party has set up, it's not always the case that they can do the push notification. So it's like Authy, I think, would say like you need to use our service to get the yeah, push notification, yeah, yeah. and if you don't. You can still use our authenticator, but then you have to go back and do the six random numbers based on like, you know, unique based on time and device.
0: Right. And then I also get wigged out because Authy is totally free to use. And so I'm like, what's your fucking deal? Right. <laughs> like, like, I don't, I don't trust that this thing is free. That helps me. Li- and, and I think it's because there's some math going on that they don't control, which I also don't understand. And and then, and then in the Netherlands, I've complained about the bank before, but I signed up for this thing they call a uh, digi ID, which the government uses and and it has two levels of logging into various government things that you might want to use, like getting a driver's license. You can log in with a username and password, or you can log in with a username and password and an SMS message, or you can have a username and password. And I know you tried to explain this to me in passing, but it's the system where it shows a QR code. I point an app at the QR code, which then gives me some numbers to type in. No, no, no. then it gives that's me some letters the app that I type. In app. Yep, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Then it get, so I take a picture of the QR code. My yep. app gives me four letters to type yep. into the web page. Yep. Then it moves on to a next thing. And then on my app, I enter my password. And then magically, the web page logs me in. So I don't right. know. Is it a web They're socket? Or
1: yes. yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which just seems like, holy fuck, Like, that's a lot of work.
1: It's too complicated. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so anyway. but to your point right like all of this is too complicated but like i actually bought a mac mini for myself which is a great way to avoid the apple keyboard problem it's like oh I just get a mac mini no problem but i have it set up so mac mini doesn't have any biometrics right it can't like doesn't have Face id or touchpad but i have the i have the watch and it's fantastic right once you sync it once you just walk up to your computer logs you in i mean i almost forget and then sometimes i don't have my watch on and i'm forced to like log in my password i'm like oh my gosh how archaic is this? So I think the fact that the watch, and also the watch is really good for Apple Pay. because You just double click yeah, on the side yeah. and use it. So that's a lot easier than using the phone. So I think getting to the point, and this is getting into like other you know, minutia, but this idea like the weak link right now is why everyone's against like using these codes. It's like if you have to type in the code, like you being the human being, there's this moment of where you could be fished, right? Like you may not totally know that that site is the actual site, yeah, yeah yeah, code, right so that's like the weak link of what people are talking about so this next idea is instead of you typing in the code right is linking together these devices where the device then does like through like encryption it says okay you say you're this website right but the old you know certificate stuff all behind the scenes that can happen like all right i'm going to double check this website has a certificate and is really who it says and then if it is i'll give it the code right so if we do that part you know, computers are really good at that part. They're really good at, like, figuring out if, like, what you say is what you say and then give it the code. And so you kind of see where this could go, right? It's like it would be so awesome if you could, like, link the Apple Watch and then depend on technology to, like, figure out, like, okay, before I give it the secret code, I need it to do the behind-the-scenes, like, validation that you are who you are, and that would prevent phishing, right? So because, because basically,
0: basically if you have an Apple Watch and you were just to press okay on it, right let me let me walk through this and then we can be done with this nonsense but so so we want to have two factor authentication that's what we want to start with right yep. problem with that is it's fucking confusing even for me and you know i yep. can animate stuff on slides so i think i'm pretty sophisticated uh you can do a loop de loop thing which is pretty fun a little free form path that a thing goes on so what you could do instead, so I still need a username, I guess this is sort of three factors depending on how you count. You got a username, a password, and then there's me pressing a button on my Apple Watch. Right. And in theory, the problem there is if someone stole my, app, my watch, let's just assume they can't break into that system between my watch and whatever, which is a big assumption, but like magic, right? Uh, so... If someone were to steal my Apple Watch, uh, they could press the button if they knew my four my numeric four right. number right. password to right. break into. So that's a problem. On the other hand, if I was using some sort of uh, physical two uh, FA token. You don't even need a password for that. You just get the token and it shows you the number.
1: Right, but remember like just go back to like 2FA it's always like something you know and something you have. So here's right, right, right. Is, but no this is the whole this is the distinction inside of that. It's like so something you know is your username password. Something you have today this is the weak link, right? Like today you have a phone that gives you unique numbers. But as soon as you have to type in those numbers, that's no longer something you have. That's actually something you know. Right?
0: whoa you're blowing so that, my mind
1: see, that's what Crossing breaks this thing down that's what i'm saying that's what breaks it down so what we want to get to is the point where it's like oh the, instead of actually you know having the you having to type in the numbers we want the devices to give the numbers and the devices will do extra checking because you'll be like you being just a normal human being you could potentially be fooled by like a well uh, done phishing attack it's like oh they just changed the letter in the url and they're actually grabbing that information and they're going to use that to break into your account whereas the technology can go right just like any type of ssl it can actually do the handshake oh is this actually what it says like you say you're um whatever google.com let me go check and make sure you're actually google.com and that mm-hmm. part and so when you get to that part is when you get to like this next level level of security and that's what matt ray would be here we're talking about uh YubiKey, right YubiKey basically does that, but you have to then walk around with this USB dongle. So the next level, right, is what I think Google announced, um, was eventually letting the Android devices do that, and then hopefully we'll see an announcement from Apple. Right, right. And, and, you know, I got
0: got all those YubiKeys. (laughs) <laughs> and and like like I try to use them and like I'm still having to fucking enter codes everywhere, right? right so, because they're not
1: yeah they're not supported everywhere. It's only on the Google browser, even,
0: like 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 even anyways. And then and then I log in to, uh, to my Google security thing, and I've got like you know five or six ways to two FA, and I'm like I don't know what what am I fucking doing here? <laughs> do, do I actually need all like is that better or worse? Or
1: I do think, but it's getting like I, again I've I've been. I've been bearish on YubiKey for a long time, but the technology underneath this, right? I think if it gets to smartphones and therefore it gets to watches, like we're getting to the point where like, just what you said, you, once you link this watch and it walks up and it just works, it's just magic, right? And they take the watch, the example you're talking about your computer. It's like, I I would say it's about, it's definitely more safe than a password because to your point, like if you lost your watch, what happens to your watch? One, it's actually locked with a four digit uh, code. And then, okay, maybe that's breakable. But, of course, because it's an Apple device and most of these devices do it. Like, if you lost it, you just remote wipe it. You just say, okay, like, I'm, yeah, yeah. you know? And then it's like, that's, I mean, that's as secure as a normal person needs to be. So, yeah. I hope it all happens. I want it to happen. And then,
0: maybe one last question. So, if we have if we had this magical Apple Watch thing in the mix, like, maybe this is unadvisable, but, like, you could also have weaker passwords that you could actually remember, right? <laughs>
1: Well, I think everybody. I mean, barring you and like you, I put us in this the small cohort of people using password managers and having passwords that we don't even know, right? Like exactly. most most people actually already have weak passwords. That they,
0: oh, but, but I'm saying that. that it would be it would be more okay. Yeah, you
1: could get to the yeah you could get to the point where it's like yeah I I um you know I mean I think that's you know the next step would actually be getting rid of the password and then just like having some. Whoa. Right. Like, so just doing the thumbprint or the face ID. Right. So imagine that like the password is just what you have is your face. Right. Your yeah. face. That's that's what you have. And then um, I'm sorry, that's what you know. What you know is literally your face. And then what you have is this other second factor device. Right. So mm-hmm. so that would be the ultimate place. Right. It's like, oh, we'll just take a picture of you That's your password from now on. And then, um, you know, then you link up your your in this case your Apple Watch, and you're you know you're pretty secure, right? You know, very few people are going to be able to break that out without some like significant efforts.
0: I love, I, lo- I still love that this. I, I like the thing. This is uh, this used to be something I have, and now this is something I know. <laughs> that's
1: right. Well, Which that's is- the whole thing. That's what people miss. As soon as you're typing in numbers, you now know it. You know right. that, and that's the weak link. And so, and I do know to Ad- Apple's credit, like I just think they're the ones who have done more for. Breaking through on authentication, than anyone else? Like Face ID, I think is just phenomenal. Like you look at your phone, and just, it's. Just, I mean, when I have to enter the code, it's just almost crazy to me, right? And the thumb thumbprint was incredible for a long time. And so, I, I mean, they're doing some really good work on that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is nice. Their their weird system of pop up windows and codes to authenticate stuff is still a little strange, but yeah, other than that's, that, that's true. Mm-hmm. Working out well. Well, uh, there's a couple of other items, uh, news items to highlight. Uh, Many of them, as always, posted in our Slack channel, uh, which you can join freely. If you just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you'll see a link to the Slack channel up there, and you can get in. But also to look at the show notes for this episode, it's at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 176. You can see links to things that we haven't covered. And also you'll see links to uh, some of the upcoming conferences that I and Matt will be at. There's a couple of chef comps, uh, one at the end of May that he'll be at. There's one in London in June. There's a, uh, as mentioned, I'm in Istanbul for um, the Spring One tour in Istanbul that we have. Uh, so if you can break into my machine and listen to this before I post it, uh, you can come tomorrow for the last day of it. Otherwise, I think the next one we have will be in Paris and then San Francisco and then Atlanta. And then there's a whole bunch of US ones. And I think at the end of the year, there'll be some ones off in Asia. But it's a nice little conference to come to. Also in August, if you wanna to go to DevOps Days, Minneapolis. Uh it's August sixth and seventh. We have a fifty dollar off code you can use to register. You just use the code SDT twenty nineteen. And you can get a li- you can check out all of that in the show notes over at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash one seventy six. Do we have any uh listener feedback or anything to go over, Brandon?
1: Yeah, a couple things. One, you know, another reason you should join the software defined talk Slack is uh people are posting jobs in there. So the jobs this week at highlight are from Riot Games. They're based out in Los Angeles, and they're looking for systems engineers and software engineers. So if you're in LA, probably like to work on games, you should check that out. And we, Rogerio, who I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, from McKinney, Texas, not too far from me, on the unofficial headquarters of Software Defined Talks. He wrote it and told us we're doing a good job of the show. So I sent him a bunch of stickers. And if you want stickers, just email your postal email me your postal address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com and we'll send you as many stickers as you want and we can send those anywhere in the world so let us know i'll get you some stickers
0: and these stickers are especially designed you can put them right side up on the side of your phone that's that's where i encourage you to put them and that way you always know which phone is yours it's true well i mean maybe by this time next year those stickers will be on lots of phones so you won't know which one is yours but now is your golden opportunity uh, to differentiate your phone uh, as always Well, uh, what do you have to recommend this week, Brandon?
1: Uh, I spent some time wasting time on Netflix. I watched The OA season two. So if you watched the first one, then you'll probably be in the season two. I'd say um, I thought it was interesting. You know, season one was a lot about like what's really real, like, you know, what's fake, what's imaginary. Uh, And season two, they kind of dive in um, into more of I'll I'll call it the sci-fi side of it all. And kind of have a bunch of different uh, adventures and I think the 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 final part of it where they seem to be setting up season three I, I won't say anything about no spoilers here I'll just say like I think it's uh, gonna be like a really interesting way a different take on um, on kind of a common uh, device in movies so I don't know I thought the finale it, it's not so much it was a huge payoff as it was sort of like oh wow season three seems like it's gonna be interesting so check out the OA on Netflix.
0: What, what's the premise of that show? Cause I think I might've watched some of it.
1: Yeah. The original premise of season one is uh, a woman returns from uh, being essentially, I guess she was uh, she was lost. She returns. And when she was, and this is not a spoiler because it comes out very early and it says like she was originally blind when she left, but she returned with sight. And, and then it kind of goes from there.
0: Is this the one that happens in, like, the suburbs and there's a bunch of kids? That's right. An yeah, attic. The lead okay. actress
1: has blonde hair. Yep, that's exactly right. You got yeah, it.
0: I could never. I heard good things about that show, but I could never figure out liking
1: yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's probably good. You know, it's good dealing for uh, Matt Raver here, you know, for his one of his, yeah. his jaunts between uh, Tokyo and yeah. Sydney. It's a good, yeah. like, six okay. episodes you can knock out.
0: Okay. Yeah, you know, like, there's a show I'm watching currently. I forget if I mentioned it. I'm watching the uh, the American Gods thing, which I don't quite... It's one of these living abroad things where, like, I can't watch it on the Amazon app on my TV. Oh, so you got a VPN it, thing. Yeah. Well, no, even more confusing, but it, it actually works perfectly on my iPad, but not on my laptop. <laughs> Fuck if I know, right? <laughs> but anyhow, uh, yeah, the American Gods is like that. Like, I've read the book a couple times, and it's really good. And I watch the show, and every time I watch it, I'm like, I don't know why I'm watching this. I'm
1: going to watch the next episode. <laughs> It's a little bit like that. Always a little bit like that. But uh, but you know what? I guess the difference is I did watch all the episodes because a lot of times I just stopped. This one I was like, I don't know. It was like entertaining enough, if you will. All right, all
0: right, all right. That's good. That's good. Well, well. Speaking of uh, speaking of anti recommendations, I'll start off with with one, and that is uh, just just a we'll make a we'll make a return back to the travel talk. So I I uh, whenever I travel. Now that I'm uh, you know, in Europe and I can have shorter trips, I try to book leaving the night before as late as possible so I can be at home more. And then uh, returning, I try to book, I wouldn't say as early as possible, but let's say before noon. My ideal flight leaving is like 10 a.m. in the morning. Right? Like, Well, my ideal time to leave is like 7 p.m. the night after doing the thing, but that often doesn't work out. So anyways, you want to leave at 10 so you can sleep in, you can leisurely get to the rest, the the airport. So I found these times and I booked it on a, um, I'm going to bust out with some lingo here, on a code share flight. So KLM sells this ticket and it's code shared to this thing called uh, Atlas Global, uh, a Turkish airline. And I was like, oh, that's going to be fine. And the times work out. So here's the problem on a code share thing is like, I'm getting the KLM experience points Know, the the credits uh, and maybe even miles but then I don't get like the priority status to go through the fast lines and things like that and so I don't know I don't think it's worth it just don't go don't go on those kind of flights like if they're in the same airline alliance that's fine but you don't want to do these weird out of alliance things it's just uh you know it's it's like it's like the the telebian theory of how how you're successful in life which is basically don't fuck up right like all you need to focus on is not losing all of your money and then you'll have money. So it's like you spend all of this time building up your status and doing things and then you just like kind of blow all that on this flight because you don't get all of your uh, your stuff. So don't do that. Now, my actual recommendation, I finally started uh, keeping up with uh, the new uh, the new podcast that, that our buddy Andrew Schaefer does uh, with his co-host. Uh, I forget how to say her last name. Jez, that's her first name. Uh, but it's, anyways. I don't know why it's called this, but it's called uh, "Weird Trick Mafia," or maybe it's "Weird Mafia Trick." I don't know. But it's, it's a, it's a good podcast. I think. I think as always, in the first episode, they needed to convert stereo to mono and level out the audio. That never happens on this podcast.
1: But of course not. No. Or no. professional.
0: It, it, it reminds. At least it's not as bad as I think. Maybe the second or third drunken retired podcast that I recorded. Where for some reason, and this is back in 2005, probably, for some reason, it only recorded my side of, of the audio. So I had to do a lot of editing <laughs> to, to make that work. <laughs> I'm not really sure what I did. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, it's all fine. But I, th- I think what's what's nice about it is there is some talk about, like there was a great episode uh, in a much more detailed way, uh, commenting on, let's say, open source foundations, which which was fun. But also what they've gotten into now is they, uh, they actually interview uh, some a lot of people who I think are in the space that we're in that maybe don't get extensive interviews uh, all the time. So it's, it's fun to hear about that. Like the last one, I forget all the names in the episodes, but there was uh, this great moment where they're talking about, I forget their name, they're like the CTO at, uh, is it Data IO or Pipe IO, And they were just like, oh, I'm sick of Kubernetes. Why do we have to reinvent this thing for the fifth time? But, uh, it, it, you know, it was just a hilarious moment. But you hear a lot of background about these people, and uh, their interviewing style is is pretty good. And there's also just some existential angst about uh, poor people in San Francisco. So you should check out that podcast.
1: Hey, Seriously. hey, real quick before we go, which reminds me, uh, I, I we're going to have an interview with Abby Fuller from AWS at some point. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm, now, I'm coach, now all over like uh, – I'm like well over a month, month behind responding to her. So if she – right. If she'll respond back. Hey, life happened. I don't I don't really have any excuses. I just I didn't do it. But uh yeah. but yeah, we're gonna get her on. And uh I don't know, just uh I think she was tweeting about this podcast or it reminded me of that. But we haven't forgotten, so stay tuned, subscribe to the software to find interviews. Plus okay. there's a whole back catalog, so you haven't listened to them all, so go back. Go back and listen to them all before that one.
0: As I'm fond of quoting from the mythical man month, if you are made to wait it is to ensure quality. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say something. Oh, oh. also, I think we'll see if we pull this off, but uh, one of my coworkers, Josh Long, we were, he has a podcast and we were going to do a cross-podcast pod, pod thing uh, where I'll interview him and he'll interview me for his podcast. So hopefully that'll be in there. Well, as always, uh, this has been Software Defined Talk. As mentioned, uh, probably an annoyingly high amount of times. Uh, if you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 176. Now, of course, there's the entire back catalog there. If you knock off the 176, you can join our Slack channel. There's, we have an email thing that sends out every time we have an email list. and um, I don't know. You can look up how to get stickers and countless other things. And you can also check out uh, our sponsor this week, SolarWinds, and kind of the, uh, the stuff they have to offer and poke around at. Uh, and with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Now you gotta, I never know how to stop this Zoom shit. Do you want to stop cloud recording? Yes.